getting to the crux of it podcast where we discuss robotic industrial process automation and everything about it. So each episode, we have candid conversations with our guests who are industry leaders in their areas and bring enticing stories and insights. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Vicki Knott, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rebecca Greenan. Thanks, Vicki. Uh, on today's episode, we are talking about matching systems to human capabilities to control room management. Today's guest is Russell Treat, CEO of Interact Energy Services. Russell is an industry leader, software entrepreneur, and trusted subject matter expert specializing in oil and gas pipeline operations, leak detection, and automation. He's also a veteran podcaster and is the creator and host of the Pipeliners podcast. Welcome, Russell. Thank you for taking some time today to, to join us. It is so good to be on a podcast as a guest. And not I'm just I, I'm just so excited that I don't have to think so hard. I can just like chatter about. It'll be great. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. and yeah. So Russell, when we talked before, essentially you're an engineer that's been doing business process automation for 30 years. You've been a disruptor, an entrepreneur, a technical software builder, and that's the high level that that's what I walked away with, but let's do a bit of a deeper dive. And you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about Interact? Yeah, sure. So, um, I, so I, I'm an engineer by education. I'm, I'm actually a civil uh, structural engineer, and um, I we spent won't have it against you. <laughs> <laughs> I spent the first part of my uh, career um, in the Air Force, and I was building. You know, I thought I was going to build steel structures, and I ended up building concrete runways and parking pads for aircraft and a little bit of steel structures. Um, but I did that. I got, got out of the Air Force. I worked in cryogenics for a while, which is uh, liquid air products, you know, liquid oxygen, liquid nitrogen, liquid CO2, that sort of thing. Um, the different applications for those kind of products. And then left that company and started a company. Very quickly, I was a partner in a group called Software Marketing. And what we did is we would find devices, typically things built by engineers, and we'd commercialize them. So you, you find a piece of software and you figure out what are all the things you need to do around that software to have it deliver value to the customers. So the training program, the marketing and sales program, the product roadmap, you know, the technology plan, you know, all of those, you know, how do we deliver it? How do you support it? All those kinds of things. Um, did that for a bunch of years, found out I really liked oil and gas. And then I started with an oil and gas software company that did back office measurement accounting. So the bridge between all the field metering and into all the accounting systems. And I did that for a bunch of years and then left that, started a company called Intersys, which is one of the operating companies within Interact and um, did measurement consulting and then telecoms and then some HMI and then some control rooms and then some leak detection. And then in 2007, um, the control room management rule started making its way out of FEMSA. And I, I got all excited about the business again because it started becoming about operation effectiveness rather than just being a technical geek. So that's kind of my story. Very cool. Um, yeah, so we'd love to just dive into some questions then. Um, something that, you know, comes up a lot in in the good old uh, pipeline world, but lots of folks probably haven't heard of it. So we'd love to, to dig in a bit is what is control room management? 
Well, so I, there's kind of there's kind of two parts to the answer. And I, I'm going to give the the regulatory answer first and kind of keep that brief. So, control room management is an area of the pipeline safety code that sets a bunch of requirements on pipeline operators and their business practices inside the control room. So, so when most people hear control room management, they're thinking regulatory policy and things I have to do. But what, what control room management really is, if you kind of peel back the regulatory layer and you you look at um, you, you look at the, the the pipeline incidents that led to the creation of the rule and you read the, the NTSB reports, what control room management is really about is making sure that the systems that are in the control room and used to operate the pipeline match the human beings and their capabilities. So one of the best examples of that is prior to the implementation of control room management, most pipeline control rooms existed in a perpetual alarm flood, right? So perpetual alarm, an alarm is something that comes in and it flashes at you and maybe makes some noise and it says, hey, you need to pay attention to me. That's really effective if you get a handful of those over a course of a shift. And completely ineffective, you get one every minute or two because you just ignore them all. So when we first started doing control room management and working with control rooms, it was not uncommon for a control room to have 25 alarms an hour. And an alarm flood would be probably more than two in an hour. It's two in 10 minutes or six in an hour is the numbers that people typically use. But and that's they, too many. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. more than that's too many, right? And, and if you think about it, I mean, I, I, you know, if I get in 25 an hour, that's, that's basically one every 30 seconds. That's, that's yeah. barely enough time to find it, acknowledge it, move on. Yeah, like imagine yeah. if people were getting like that many notifications on their phones, right? Like they go nuts. Imagine yeah, right. Job. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. So that's just that's just one aspect. One of the other aspects is called adequate information. And that has to do with having the controllers understand the system and a lot about high-performance HMI and how you build screens in the control room. You know, again, historically, pipeline screens were basically black. They had some colored lines and some numbers on them, right? And now we're, we're doing all kinds of advanced graphics and animations and, you know, putting together things that, that tell me, am I normal or not? Or am I abnormal? And if I'm abnormal, how abnormal am I? Which is much different than knowing what the numbers are. You know, we, we used to require the controllers to kind of have all those numbers in their head, right? And, they, and, and controllers do that when they're operating a pipeline. They build this mental framework in their mind. Uh, but that mental framework is generally built based on the system they're given to operate. So it's constrained by and limited by the system. So control room management is all about helping controllers become more effective in their real job. And their real job very simply is deliver product on schedule and without incident. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's much more complex than the average folk tend to know. So we love uh, digging in and giving some insights to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. it's it, every Everything is easy, Vicki, until you know enough about it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Russell, I just want to dig in a little bit more. Like we still seem to be, like alarm management still seems to be like the solution for the abnormal, all the abnormalities that are happening in the control room. So I was just... I'm wondering if we can kind of dig into that a little bit more and 
your thoughts on the evolution of the control room and um, is alarm management the solution or is there is there other ones that you've kind of been exposed to that you know would definitely well, help out on that yeah rebecca that's a great that's a really good question i'll talk about this when, when i talk about a high performance control room and, and what's necessary and like what is the perfect human machine interface and what's the perf- perfect alarm management because those are those two things are really two different sides of the same coin right right they're just different views what what we have done as we've begun to implement alarm management if we've begun to use alarming as a way to tell controllers there's something abnormal going on and that's getting better, but we've got a long ways to go, in my opinion. So I'll, I'll tell you about what I what I tell people the perfect system is. The perfect HMI shows you you're heading to abnormal before you get to an alarm. And the perfect alarm is yeah. one and only one alarm for each abnormal condition, and it only comes in for that abnormal condition. Right. And, and that doesn't, ex- neither of those exist in, in, in practice. Yeah. And I've never seen that. <laughs> oh, no, they, they neither, neither exist in practice, but you know, it's really important. You know, we, we tend to think in our world of, of control room and pipeline operations, we tend to think in specification, like this is the standard, this is what I got to do. And, and really operational excellence is about aspirational goals, right? So zero incidents, everybody agrees that that's the right goal. That's an aspirational goal, right? And we may never, ever get there. Now, we might be able to have zero incidents for an hour or for a day or for a week or so forth. But, you know, ultimately, we're never going to get to zero incidents. But that's the aspirational goal. So what I, what I laid out with the HMI and the, and the alarm system is that's the aspirational goal. And we're not even we're not even to the place yet as an industry. We're recognizing that as the aspirational goal. Yeah, yeah, that's we we need to get there for sure. So, so with that as the aspirational goal, um, in, in knowing us and you know the automation work we're up to, I guess how do you think um, automation plays into you know the evolution of the control room and specifically you know getting to that um, zero 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 incident aspirational goal. Well, certainly automation is, is absolutely critical. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, automation is one of those, there's some problems with the language we use in the control room, right? So when I say alarm, everybody listening to this, that, that word means something very specific to them. And they can visualize it in their mind. But probably most of them have a different idea of what that is. Right? Yeah. Like different ideas of what alarms are? Yeah. Like if you talk to somebody in the field that's running a compressor station, their idea of what an alarm is is very different than somebody in a control room. You ask them what an alarm is. Correct. Yeah. And right? it's probably that with automation as well, right? Like what Exactly. What, and that and that's the point I, I was trying to make is that automation is a word we use, but it can mean a lot of different things to a different a lot of different people. So and most of us are familiar with the automation we do in the PLCs and the in the flow computers and all that sort of thing. But you know, the idea of automation in the SCADA system, we've avoided that, you know, but very deliberately, we put the automate, you know, there's a lot of focus and intentionality on putting the automation in the field near the process we're automating for, you know, for fail safe and redundancy and safety and all that. But that's very distinct from process automation in the control room. Yeah. 
you know, and, and what you guys are doing is process automation in the control room. And it's a bit evangelical, right? It's, it's, there's a whole lot of convincing people. That's even a real thing. <laughs> Probably got you on the podcast, Russell, help us convince the masses. <laughs> <laughs> the masses. Um, automation is going to be really critical. But, but I think I think we have to think of automation in terms of user experience. Absolutely. Right. So <laughs> yes. alarm management is about doing alarming focused on user experience. Yes. High performance HMI is about building a human machine interface focused on user experience. Yep. What you guys are doing in process automation is focused on user experience. I want to take the mundane, repetitive work off the controller and allow them to do the more important analytical work. Yeah. Right. And, and, and to date, like most um, of the more advanced automation technologies are primarily only focused on equipment. And that's where I think the industry has been failing. It's like, okay, let's optimize the absolute crap out of this, you know, pipeline or this, um, this pump from like the equipment standpoint, and then hand that over to the control room operators. And they're going to write procedures and, and figure it out. And right. And like, that's, that's not the approach that is the most effective, right? Like a positive, um, a positive user experience leads to a safe experience. And then therefore, you know, efficiencies and all that great stuff like we've learned that well, in so many other other sectors yeah and the challenge the challenge is automation in the pipeline space is very cross-disciplinary right so you've got your plc automation in the field that's aut automating the remote processes you you've got your you know your your telecommunications that you, infrastructure you got to build and then you've got your SCADA systems and your hmis and then if you're doing leak detection you got all that stuff that you're doing to feed all that data there so there, and all those disciplines have their own kind of piece of the automation puzzle. Now we don't typically engineer those things as systems. Well, some people do there. I can, I can, there are examples out there of that, but a lot of times it's, yeah. well, we have these pieces and we just plug them together and we don't think about them holistically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we need to get to the point where we're thinking about this stuff holistically. Yeah. Right. And you kind of touched on a little bit, um, Russell, but just like, the human factors and we're trying to connect like the why the human factors are so important and um, maybe just touch on the synergies between the control room automation and control room management well the, the, yeah they're, they're they're really both the same thing right the control control room management is establishing best practices regulatory requirements around things like how you should be managing your alarms, how you should be managing your HMI, you know, how you should be managing workload and how work, you know, and, and one of the aspects of workload, if you do workload analysis, the complexity of the task is as important, if not more important than the quantity of the tasks, right? Because that goes to fatigue, right? Right. And so, um, so there's, you know, there's, there's that aspect. So, so automation is a mechanism to make the human more effective, but to do that requires some really deliberate design, understanding what humans do well and what automation does well. Automation does the repetitive task. Well, automation takes data and turns it into actionable information and does that well. 
What it doesn't do is see things like weak signals. So weak signals will be those things that are subtle indications that something's going wrong, but not a strong indication that something's going wrong. And a lot of the more complex things we do, particularly like leak alarm response, is, is an exercise in working your way through weak signals. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually, that's a great way to describe uh, leak detection response. Um, yeah, I, I've had that experience exactly. Um, I was just having a conversation at the API conference yesterday with somebody about what we really need in leak detection is not better mechanisms for leak detection. We need better mechanisms to take these weak signals and turn them into strong signals. Yeah. That's an excellent way to frame it. I completely agree because like when you're sitting there and you see the leak alarm, you're just like, okay, great. It's a leak alarm, but there's so many other things that are going into it. Like, you know, the leak alarm cannot actually be correct. It's it's a warning, right? And so then you're looking at everything and you're synthesizing it. And a lot of the times it's nothing, right? It's just a transient hydraulic situation. Right. That's just, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, and then what happens is you start to train yourself in this mental model that a leak alarm, anytime there's a transient hydraulic is not a real alarm. Yeah. Which, Absolutely. and when do most, when do most leaks actually occur? That is, during a, I actually don't know that data. During a, tran- during a transient. Yeah, end of the shift in terms of people probably, but yeah, during a transition. It's, it's, exactly. it's often often they occur during a startup or a shutdown or a slack line or something like that. That yeah. that that you know, not only do those things mask your ability to see a leak, but they also this is actually a good this is actually a good example in, in terms of where process automation, HMI, and alarm management can kind of come together to make a job easier to do. Yeah. So the more I can put information into the console that's, that's processed, that gives me indications of not only do I have a leak alarm, but here's all the things that are happening that are contributing to it so that I can look and see the pattern yeah. versus having to analyze the numbers. That makes a huge difference. You, know, you can, you can see, like, if you see, like, I've got a spike in my imbalance in a leak, in a leak system, but it's coming back down. That's very different than it's come up and it's continuing to go up. Yeah, exactly. So that's hard to see in numbers. It's real. It's it's easy to see if you build the right kind of graphics, and that's what high performance HMI is all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the, like you're already touching into to our next question here, which is you know the integration of these systems being so important and vital for safety and efficiency, right? So like you know, these things need to be able to tie together in an easy way, something that's visual, because like when you're in that hot seat, there's so much going on, right? So, so like you said, for folks not having to just kind of analyze and stare at numbers, and then when they're tired, you know, analyzing and staring at numbers becomes very difficult. So yeah, do you have anything you'd want to want to add to that? Uh, like the, you know, with respect to the integration of these systems and its importance? Well, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question because there are certain situations where I think you don't want to integrate. Like, I don't think you want to be things like maps, GIS, log books, um, procedures and policies and, you know, all of that. You don't want any of that type of thing in your automation system. But on the other hand, you know, in terms of presentation, I want all of the alarming and all of the operational data and all of my analytical tools to resolve alarms and, you know, all of that. So I want alarming and HMI and process automation and all the information about the automation in the field and all the information that I can about what's happening with that. I want all that in my SCADA system. 
And so the stuff that you say, you know, you shouldn't be integrated, you know, for our listeners, could you tell them a bit more why, why you think that uh, they should not be integrated, you know, your logs and your GIS? Yeah, this, 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 this starts to get kind of technical, but I'll use the map example. I'll use the map example as a starting point. Any, anybody who's traveled in a city with a subway system, you know, they have this map, but the map's not geo, it's not a geographic reference. It's more of a relationship reference. This station's here in relationship to this other station. Right. So in a control room, I don't really care if the product's running north or south or east or west. I don't care if these two sites are 15 miles away versus 100 miles away from each other so much as I know where they are in relationship to one another. Right. So putting mapping in actually provides a whole bunch of data and context that can actually confuse the issue. Yeah, it's not, it's not important, right? Right. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you a whole bunch of interesting stuff to look at and think about, but it's not important to the job here I'm here to do, yeah, right? You're just distracted. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, look at this little cool thing I can do with the map, you know, which has nothing yes. to do with them there to do. Now, on the other hand, if I need the map, give them the access to the GIS. Yeah, pull right? it up on it's a separate a, screen or, or whatever yeah, you need. Yeah, yeah, and And that there's all kinds of cybersecurity issues around the things that are in the business network versus what's in the, uh, the ICS, the industrial control system. Right. But so that, that's, that's one kind of example. And there's a lot of others like that where, you know, there's information that I'd like to have, but I don't need it in my SCADA system. And the information I need to do the core job is a subset. Most of what's in a SCADA system, particularly if they're very elaborate, most of that's there for diagnostics. It's not there for operations, and those are two very different kinds of tasks. So when you're right. when you're building an HMI, you're trying to build the screens for the tasks. Like you know, a good example in aviation in the cockpit. You know, I have a set of signals that I use to know where the airplane is, and that is consistent regardless what kind of airplane I'm in: Piper Cub, the fighter jet, the airliner, the space shuttle. They all have that same basic in instrument display to know where the aircraft is they have a whole bunch of other stuff related to operating and flying the aircraft and that's all unique to the aircraft so you know what i'm really trying to do is i'm trying to paint a picture of this whole issue of what am i integrating and how am i integrating and how am i presenting it It, it's really you want to normalize the things that matter provide the detailed context that's specific and you want to you want to segregate that information in a way that's meaningful right no I, yeah no I, I like that it's a good way to to think about it is you know what truly is is important and um you know just kind of pivoting a little bit from that but there is a level of concern and reality around industrial assets and safety and Crux brings ESG into our value conversation all the time. And in your opinion, how important do you think it is that we look at ESG solutions from a control room perspective? Well, I haven't given a lot of thought to ESG. Um, you know, if, if, if we're going to change the mission of the control room and the mission of the control room is going to include limit emissions, then you know, that's a different conversation, but, you know, we don't have cathodic protection coming into the control room, mm-hmm. right? right. We, we don't have integrity management information coming into the control room. 
So do we need to bring ESG information into the control room? I, I think I, I think the I think the answer to that actually is probably yes. But the way that's going to work is more a this gets into safety management systems and safety management systems that are cutting across disciplines because integrity management cares about the number of pressure cycles on a pipe. Control room and normal operations doesn't care about the number of pressure cycles in the pipe. One of the things we can do with this kind of industrial automation that you guys are doing is we can lower pressure cycles while being able to be more efficient and effective from an operation from an operating standpoint. And that's where the real value proposition comes in. And, you know, will we bring ESG into the control room? I don't know. Is there an opportunity to understand how we operate affects our ESG goals? Yes. The question is going to be, how do we actually do that? Because right now, even in things that matter to us, we don't do that very well. Yeah, right. You're, you're correct. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. And just uh, figuring out what those metrics are. And it's almost like the control room is the, the data point and putting those data points out to the people that are looking at the metrics, I think will be important. Well, that gets into a whole nother conversation about, you know, SCADA stands for supervisory control and data acquisition. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I tell people is I think SCADA is dead. We're going to continue to have SC. <laughs> Sky. We're going to consider to have. We're going to continue to have data acquisition, but they're going to split because there's a whole lot of other people other than just the control room that need the data to do things That's with correct. it that are meaningful, yeah. right? Yeah. So that is a whole rethink of kind of our OT infrastructure and how it ought to be built, which yeah. goes to kind of the question you're 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 teeing up about how do I do this. You know, yeah, where, where where is this headed? I think one of the ways I want, think one of the places it's headed is that these things that we're talking about about process automation and high performance HMI and warming, which has historically been skated conversations, they're going to begin to become operations effectiveness conversations, and the technology that we use to do them is going to be less important than what we're able to do with the technology. Absolutely. Yeah, action becoming goal focused. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that will not be an easy transition to make. No, that one I think folks struggle with. It's, we, you know, we've got so many amazingly super smart engineers in, in the industry um, and super smart engineers love technology. So it's, it's a hard shift. Well, if you spent your life being a carpenter and somebody brings you a brick, you try to put a hammer to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think no. I'll leave this conversation right there. Yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> Well, that is perfect. Um, Russell, can you give us your socials and uh, where folks can find you? Yes, I can. Um, I am. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's Russell Treat at on LinkedIn. It's Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L, just one L in Russell Treat, T-R-E-A-T. That is the best way to find me. Um, you can also go to interactenergyservices.com or if you like, and I recommend you do, go to the Pipeline Podcast Network. Go to the contact us page, drop me a note there. So lots of ways to find. And check out the Pipeliners podcast because it's great. So thank, yes. thank you. Thank you. That's I was looking for that plug before we got off of here. Oh, yeah. No worries. I got you. I got you. <laughs> so amazing. So everyone, thank you for tuning in to the uh, Crux podcast. And uh, please do subscribe to the show. 
uh, sign up for the newsletter um, or give us a follow on social media, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. We're all over the place. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. And bye. Great. Thanks, everyone.